forever friends. I see that Carlos and family are here today. Welcome. It's so good to see you again. God blesses us all the time. And you hear when people talk about God, God is good all of the time, not just some of the time. So it's very important in my message that our prayers are said in faith. The prayer of faith. Thank you, Jedediah, for reading that text. You always do it so well. Let us have a word of prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, today we are here to worship you, our creator, our savior, and the awesome God of the universe. Lord, I pray that whenever we have a need of you, which is constantly, that we will remember to have prayer and have faith that whatever we pray to give you glory, that you will do it as you promised. Be with us now as we worship you. All these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, prayer is the key in the hand of faith. Amen. How can we expect God to do anything for us if we don't believe that he will? I don't think it's possible for us to expect that. You know, we get into a problem with um, presumption. Don't presume. Don't take for granted what God can do for us. When I was preparing my notes for today's sermon, the first thing that came to my mind was the prayer of faith. We find in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. And it gives most of the scenarios of why we would pray in faith. If we are sick, if we need healing, if we're in trouble, or if we're just praying to give thanks. We sing songs and we praise God for all that he does for us. And he's done everything. Everything we are, everything we have, are from God. So I do really like that te text. And at the end of the text, we have a faithful, faithful follower prophet by the name of Elijah. You can look it up. I have turned it to this verse itself. But it was Elijah that had a prayer of faith. You know, whenever a righteous man has that prayer of faith to God, it is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like all of us. He had flaws. But yet he prayed in earnest. And it says he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. It doesn't take very long for a drought to occur. Three and a half years will do it. Again, he prayed afterwards, after his great victory there on Mount Carmel, he prayed and the heavens gave rain most abundantly. I, I meant, I said, inserted most abundantly because that's God's gifts to us, always in abundance. 
and it, it refreshed the earth. It watered the earth, and it produced their crops. They had a wonderful harvest. And it's because of Elijah's faith in God. And we know Elijah has already received his reward. Somebody guess what that reward is? Taken to heaven. He's in heaven now. He's enjoying eternity with God. And you know what? That's what's in store for us as believers. So we can never have too much faith. We can never pray too much, but we can have too little faith, or we can pray too little. In Psalms 143, verse 10 uh, through 12, we have a prayer of David. He's asking God for something specifically. So turn with me to Psalm 143. Starting with verse 10. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit, I wrote in the little space I had, Holy Spirit, lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. Did David give a prayer in faith? I happen to believe so. Knowing David, he was a man after God's own heart. And yet he was flawed. God knows we're flawed when he calls us to do his work. Because he will teach us. He will give us strength when we are weak and when we're tired. You know, Paul says in his writings, when I am weak, he makes me strong. We can be strong in the Lord. It's him doing that in us. Another very popular or famous or uh, psalm that we have all read, we've all studied. It's Psalm 51. Again, we have David. David has done something terrible. Uh, and we know what he's done. He sinned grievously, not just against God. He sinned against a good friend of his, Uriah. A good friend. And he sinned against his friend's wife. And I think he even sinned against the nation. A king that is corrupt. And the prophet Nathan called him on it. He pointed at him after he'd told a little story. And David said, well, I think that this guy should really get, you know, some kind of a penalty for what he did. And you know that story, you know, Nathan nailed him. He nailed him when this rich, rich man had a visitor and he had all the animals and all the lambs and sheep. 
and he stole the sheep from this other man and they butchered it and they entertained their friends. Yes. So David, he called that person that did that horrible thing and Nathan said, well, you know what? You've told me what should happen to him. You are the man, David. You are the man. So Psalm 51 and verse, verse 7, 7 through 12. Is that the right one? 7 through 12, yes. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation. What a prayer, prayer of David. Restore me to the full, fullness of the joy of your salvation. Was David a man of faith? Yes. Absolutely. But again, he made mistakes. So what did he do? He asked for forgiveness. Since he asked forgiveness of God, I'm sure he asked forgiveness of Bathsheba and the nation and anyone else that he had deceived. Because what he had done is pretty grievous. And I want to drop down to, um, oh, I want to make mention of another prayer of David. It's found in chapter 25, 4 and 5. 25, Psalm 25, 4 and 5. Here is David again. Give you a little chance to get there. Show me your ways, O God. Sounds like a, a prior text. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. And I'd like to add, day after day, David has said that he uh, will hope in his God as his Savior. He's already talking about a Savior, and Jesus hasn't even come as the Messiah. Again, an amazing prayer. Now, if I were to ask you about another prayer of David, one of the most famous, we hear it all the time, it's about a shepherd. Psalm 23. You know, my wife and I, we taught our daughter this psalm. And she loved to recite it for us. How old was she? Less than three. Okay. I know it's all of our favorites, so I'm sorry. What? Oh, she said two. Oh. Almost three. Sorry, saying two. And since we, we really, really love this prayer of David, I'm going to read it now. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. 
He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What was it that was so cute? The way she would say, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. That was enthusiasm, wasn't that? And of course, the little child shall lead you. This is a wonderful, wonderful prayer, our song, Psalm of David. You know, these songs, these psalms are also prayers because... In every one, David is speaking to the almighty God in the universe. And when we pray, we also are talking to that same God that will do all things in your life if you ask in faith. It's very important, our faith. Without it, we do not have God. We have whatever the opposite is. We need faith. And we know that's what saves us, is faith. There's a woman in the Bible. We find in the first Samuel and the first chapter, there was this woman that had no children, but her sister wife, was having baby after baby. And the husband, Elkanah, said, I, I love you, and we've tried. And Hannah was beside herself. The prayer of Hannah teaches us, 1 Samuel, yeah, chapter 1, that she never quit praying. You know, there was this word my daughter used in one of her messages. It's called push. Pray until something happens. Amen. Well, Hannah prayed until something happened. Amen. And she was praying on the steps of the temple, and the high priest came out, Eli. And he accused her of being under uh, the influence, drunk in other words because she was mumbling and crying, and he was eavesdropping. That was her prayer to God, and Eli did not need to know what that prayer was about. And he accused her of something she didn't do, and he wanted to send her home. And then it is then that Hannah said, I'm praying to God that he give me a child. I know that all of us know who this child is, 
Let's take a look at verse 11 and see what the prayer is that Hannah made. She made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, and then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. I think many consider Hannah's son Samuel to be the greatest prophet. Now, there were other prophets, and I won't get into it, but Samuel was the one that started the mold. He started a school of prophets. Samuel taught prophets to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. I don't know if Hannah would have had a child if she had not prayed, but that prayer of Hannah, we find, brings into this world a son by the name of Samuel. We've all heard of Samuel and his faith. A very faithful prophet, a very, um, a very directing prophet that directed Israel where they should go. He was upset too that they wanted a king as well as God. So Samuel was the one that was chosen at that time to anoint kings. He anointed Saul. And yes, he anointed David. And that was no small thing to anoint a prophet. David was supposed to build the temple. He was to, supposed to oversee it as the king. God did not give him that. That was kind of a punishment for his sins that we just were studying and we're talking about here. His son Solomon was given that task. Can you imagine? You're given the task to build a temple on the mount there in Jerusalem. What an awesome, awesome task. How many of you have seen replicas of the temple? Isn't that amazing? The replicas of the, the temple of God. And you know, Solomon, he's known for something. What is that he's known for? Wisdom. Wisdom. God asked him, Solomon, what can I do for you? What can I give to you? I'll give you anything you ask. Solomon could have asked for wealth. He could have asked for power. That's what a lot of kings ask for is wealth and power. The first thing that Solomon asked for was wisdom. That should teach us something. And you know, Solomon, he writes in the book of Proverbs the importance of wisdom. Wisdom is more valuable than silver and gold. And you know, because he asked for wisdom, God gave him wisdom. And Solomon was very, very intelligent with the things of heaven, the principles in heaven and everything of God. He got the awesome task to accept the high priest and the priest that carried the Ark of the Covenant and set it down there in the middle of the temple so that God could be there in person, in spirit, but there. 
And so they did that, and this, this opening of the temple was awesome. If you read about it in uh, the book of Second Chronicles, let's take a look at some of the things that Solomon prayed for. This is a, an amazing, amazing prayer by Solomon. While he's in the temple, all the priests are there and all the people outside and they're listening to what's going on. What type of a presence do you think Solomon had? What type of a presence? Probably a, a magnificent presence. Do you know that kings and queens from other countries came and gave them all their gold and their silver? He had too much gold, he didn't have a place for it, so he ended up just getting rid of his silver. Yeah, he was a blessed man. He was a blessed man. Second Chronicles 6. Yeah, and how much time, Dan, can I have? Ten? Fifteen, maybe? Okay. Amen. All right. Second Chronicles 6, starting with verse 3. You know, if you take the time in studying your Bible, the both Chronicles, first book, second book, they're very enlightening about the kings and the prophets. It's worth the study. While the whole assembly of Israel was standing there, the king turned around and blessed them, and then he said, verse 4, Praise be to the Lord God of Israel, who, has his, who with his hands has fulfilled that what he promised with his mouth to my father David. For he said, Since the day I brought my people out of Egypt, I have not chosen a city in any tribe of Israel to have a temple built for my name to be there, nor have I chosen anyone to be the leader over my people in Israel. Now this was quite a lengthy prayer of Solomon. And so I will, I will end with that text there that uh, I started with Solomon's prayer. I, I can only imagine his speaking voice Everybody heard there was great majesty because, after all, God was there. And what an awesome scene it was to see God come down into that mercy seat, the Shekinah glory of God Almighty. They could witness it. They saw it. God was with them in the temple they had built. If they hadn't built the temple, would there be a place for God to dwell? I think not. I think not. You know, I'm going to kind of veer off the Bible texts for the moment. And I want to turn your attention to the father of this country. Who knows who the father of this country is? He was number 16. Who's the number one? The first one. George Washington. Yes. His mother, Mary, said, remember 
She's saying a prayer that God is our only one trust to him. I commend you, my son. Neglect not the duty of secret prayer. What an awesome, awesome thing to say and pray for her son, for her son, George Washington. And I have a book here about George Washington's prayers. You know, when, um, when Washington took the oath of office, he began something in a long line of oaths in the presidents of this country. When he took the oath of office as our first president of the United States, he subsequently bent forward and he kissed, now I don't know if other, other presidents have done this, he kissed the Bible on which he had just taken his oath. You know, standing there here with, you know, hand on the Bible, hand up. He then led the Senate and the House of Representatives to the church for two hours, two hours. Here we worship one hour, two hours, worship service. They went to the church nearby and Washington realized that where he led all other um, politicians, senators, uh, the House, House of Representatives, to the House of God. What is it that we do in the House of God that's the most important? Pray. 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 You know, there are some things that are names of God that Washington referenced. He referenced God in 80 different names in his prayers and his writings. Here are some of the uh, titles that he, he gave to God. All-wise dispenser of events. Benef beneficent author of the universe. The God of armies. Definitely Israel's. The author of all good. Eternal Lord God. Most gracious God. Thy divine majesty. King of heaven. In the last words that Washington started that all the other presidents, I believe, hopefully, he said, so help me God. Anyone that's seen uh, a president at his inauguration and he's being sworn in to the oath of office, they say at the end, so help me God. Now, they might be repeating it because there's a minister there. I don't know if Washington needed a minister. I think he could have said his own prayer. I think he could have. And there is also a prayer of Washington on May 1st, 1777, he received the news that France was joining the colonies in the war for the American independence. And here's his prayer. His prayer is on a prayer plaque in two places. At the Pohick Church in Fairfax, Virginia, that's the state where Washington had his home, and in the New York City St. Paul Chapel. I'm sure 
you can go to those churches and read his prayer. And now, Almighty Father, it is thy holy will that we shall obtain a place and name among the nations of the earth. Grant that we may be enabled to show our gratitude for thy goodness by our endeavors, endeavors to fear and obey. Obey thee. Bless us with thy wisdom in our counsels, success in battle, and let all our victories be tempered with humanity. Endow also our enemies with enlightened minds, that they become sensible of their injustice and willing to restore our liberty and peace. Grant this petition of the servant, thy servant, this is Washington, for the sake of him, Jesus, whom thou hast called thy beloved son. Nevertheless, I love this end of his prayer, nevertheless, not my will, but thine will be done. Amen. Thine will be done. Amen. You know, it reminds me of a prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. This prayer was prayed by Jesus, who is our example in all things. We find in John chapter 17. Read it when you get a chance to later. But Jesus says a prayer for himself. It's okay to pray for ourselves. Yeah. Jesus expects that we do. We ask for forgiveness. We ask for his mercies. And Jesus, after he finished praying for himself... You know, he had left his disciples a little ways off. And what happens? He goes back, and especially the three that he left closer to him, they were sleeping. Jesus said, the spirit is willing, the body is weak. And Jesus decided he needed to pray more. And what was his prayer all about? He prayed for his sleeping disciples. He prayed for them. Can you imagine Jesus having intercessory prayer for us? Well, guess what? He's doing that in the most holy place in the temple in heaven, that sanctuary. Jesus has taught us the intercessory prayer that we need to pray for others. Even Washington prayed for his enemies. Jesus tells us that in his sermons. Pray for your enemies. Do good to those who use you despitefully. And then he went back. They're still asleep. And in the Bible, it tells us that every time Jesus knelt down, he, he bent over so that his face was almost touching the ground. And the Bible tells us that he was so distraught with what's going to happen in the near future, his betrayal, his trial, the crucifixion, and I don't know what his thoughts were on the resurrection, but he prayed the prayer so intense that his sweat was like that of blood. Amazing. That's amazing. And then his last prayer was for all of 
Christ's believers? Because he had a following there during his ministry and the world. He prayed for them on the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And you know, it was during this prayer time that Jesus, three times, he tried to get out of it. You remember, he's human, son of man. He says, Father, if there's any way you can have this cup pass from me, then, you know, maybe there's another way. And the first time he said, well, nevertheless, Father, thy will be done. He said it a second time in a prayer, and he said it a third time in prayer. Nevertheless, thy will be done. This is our prayer. It should be. Thy will be done. And you know, I love that prayer that he taught the disciples. It's the Lord's Prayer. And it talks about, you know, a wonderful prayer of how you address God, Heavenly Father, Father in Heaven. And it's a wonderful prayer. I know that we know it. We've repeated it in church. Take a look at that today, the Lord's Prayer, and learn what Jesus taught on prayer. You know, I think we cannot spend too much reading and studying and praying about Jesus. Ellen White writes in The Desire of Ages that if we spend one day or one hour every day on the life of Christ, that we will have more of Christ in our lives and we will, it will take us to our knees in prayer. Because the life of Christ is, it's a wonderful, wonderful to study and realize that our God is a forgiving God. Our God has done everything. He created us and now he's brought us back to him through his blood, through the shed, uh, shedding of his blood. And you know, he taught the disciples that when we end our prayers, we say, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So let's remember Jesus at the end of our prayers. Amen. You know, my daughter taught CPR in school and in, you know, where she works. Do you know what CPR stands for? Cardio pulmonary resuscitation. Do you know what CPR means to a person? Now that's their physical. Just bringing them back to life. But you know what? We're not living spiritually unless we've had the CPR from Jesus. Amen. C is Christ. P is prayer. And R is repentance. Amen. And we ask that in faith. He he does answer, and he says yes to those prayers. Amen. What a wonderful Savior. What a wonderful God. What a wonderful um, Savior we have in Jesus. Prayer really should be one of the first things we think about when we wake up and the last thing we think about when we go to sleep. Now maybe you're wondering where I got the title for my sermon today. It's found in the chapter 
In Steps to Christ, Ellen White writes about the privilege of prayer. We all have that privilege. She says, why should the sons and the daughters of God be so reluctant to pray? When, when prayer is the key in the hand of faith to unlock heaven's storehouses where are stored the boundless resources of omnipotence. How powerful is omnipotent? How much does omnipotent have? There is no ending to the omnipotence power and the things that God creates for those that he loves. The Bible tells us over and over he loves all of us. Amen. He loves all of us. That is, that is so wonderful. You know, there are seven keys. I want to close my message today with seven keys for a prayer of faith. One of them, we need God. We need to know we need God. Amen. We need to know that for sure. Not just think, well, maybe. No, it's for sure. We need to renounce all sin. We need to repent, like in the CPR. Repent. And you know, after Peter's sermon in Acts, it was a great sermon by Peter. Everyone there, just about everyone there says, okay, Peter, we believe. We believe in this Christ you talk about. What do we do next? We believe. And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And that day, I think 3,000 were baptized. You know, there's an important text in the Bible. I will read it on faith. We need to have faith in our prayers. That's key num uh, number three. You know that text, I believe. You know, you know Hebrews 11.6? Very good. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Very, very good. <laughs> Thank you, Hebrews 11.6. I'm going to briefly read it here for everyone. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. So the first three keys are to feel that need for God, repent, renounce all sin, have faith. Another one is perseverance. What is perseverance in prayer? I could think of a quick verse from Paul, 1 Thessalonians 4.17, pray without ceasing. Is that perseverance? Yes. Excuse me? Honest prayer. Hannah. Hannah's prayer. Wonderful. That is a wonderful example, Mary Angeli. Another prayer, uh, key to prayer is diligence. Hannah had those. She had those. She persevered in prayer. There's something specific she asked for, and she said it in faith. 
And not only that, she actually said, and Jesus, I will give to you the answer of my prayers. Luke 18, the widow lady. The widow lady. 18. Yeah, is that the one you're talking about that put the little bit of... No, no, no. She went to the judge. judge. Yes, yes, yes. And the judge finally said yes, finally. She persisted. She persisted. Another key... This is number six out of seven. Six. It's very important. Obedience. Obedience. It is better to obey than to sacrifice the fat of a ram or a lamb. You know, John said to his disciples, John 15, 9 to 12, 16 and 17, I really think it'd be good for us to read that today. Found in John chapter 15. He says to the disciples, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. What a wonderful thing that Jesus would tell that to them. And he said, you know, I no longer call you a servant. I call you my friend. Why? Because you, you keep my commandments and you love one another the way that Jesus loves them. That's obedience. Revelation says obedience are those saints or remnant who keep the commandments of God and have faith in Jesus Christ and in his testimony. That's the gospel. And the last key, seventh key, this is so important. You need to ask with the right motive. Now, I, I picked someone as an example, that's Jesus. He asked God for something. He said, let this cup pass from me, three times. But what was his reply in his prayer to God? Not my will, but thy will be done. Nevertheless, Father God, thy will be done. That was the decision for Jesus to go to the cross for all of us. Amen. Aren't we all rejoicing over that? Amen. I think we all should be rejoicing. So if any of you would like a copy, I'll make sure you do, of the seven keys to prayer. We should all have those keys in our hearts and in our minds. So, prayer is the key and the hand of faith that will unlock heaven's storehouses. One of them meaning is that we'll see Jesus. That's the most important one of all. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, today we have found through your word, through the word of your messenger, that the prayer set in faith is powerful and Elijah's prayer was powerful indeed Jesus is ready to answer our prayers better than we could ever ask or think Ephesians 3:20 we have no idea what God has in store for us other than to give us life more abundant and life eternal we thank you. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen. Amen.